got it. That should be about it. Uh, we'll hang fire and hopefully you should appear on LinkedIn in a moment. But uh, in the meanwhile, Andy Kingston, welcome to VUX World, my friend. Thank you. Great to it's, be here. It's a pleasure to have you alongside. Uh, definitely. It's a bit of a different setup than usual. We've, we're broadcasting through Zoom. So, uh, yeah, Deepgram, apologies, your logo isn't on the screen, but I will give a shout out to Deepgram before we kick off uh, for presenting VUX World. Deepgram is industry-leading speech recognition. And if you are in the market for speech recognition to build voice assistance or any, time, any kind of transcription service that you need in your call center, in your products, wherever it might be, Deepgram is a place to go for that. Deepgram.com forward slash VUX world is uh, where you can go to find more information. That is deepgram.com forward slash VUX world. Uh, and there we have it. So, yeah, thank you for joining us, Andy. I appreciate, appreciate your time. Whereabouts are you in the country again? Uh, I'm in Yorkshire. Yorkshire, likewise. Yeah. Likewise, we are a couple of, uh, yeah, Yorkshire goers right now. It's uh, Weather's all right as well. I've been griping a little bit recently because uh, I don't think that Harrogate has been overly kind to me in terms of sunshine, but the last few days seem to be all right, so it's on the up now. Yeah, it's looking nice. It's been sunny here today. It's just clouded over. But... Yeah, yeah, nice, nice. Uh, so, Andy, you're the head of UK Customer Service uh, Strategy and Transformation at HSBC. A lot of people tuning in now will definitely be aware of HSBC, huge bank, global uh, global operation. And uh, when, maybe as we'll start, we're going to get into the conversation about how you, your team, and, and the organization has been using conversational AI. But maybe before we kick off, maybe it's a bit about yourself might be interesting in terms of your background and you know how you started uh, at HSBC, and maybe a little bit about your role as well would be interesting. Yeah, so... Um... Uh, 22 years nearly with HSBC now, um, started on the management trainee scheme, um, mostly in and around the branch networks. I spent 15 years uh, working in branches across the UK, um, a short stint in head office um, before the last five years being part of uh, UK contact centres, uh, more recently renamed UK customer service team. Um uh, my role is to look at how we deliver um, great customer service through the adoption of technology, but blended with our people. And I'm sure you know we'll come into some examples of what that looks and feels like throughout this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last three, nearly three and a half years now, has been about uh, conversational banking, um, conversational AI, how we. Um, adopt some of those technologies and some of the um, ways of working with our people kind of sat in and around it to turbocharge it for our customers. And it's uh, it's going pretty well. Nice, nice. And so I, I'm aware of HSBC exploring channels like voice assistance and stuff like that. I won't name the person there, but um, had plenty of conversations around how HSBC has been exploring some of those emerging channels, you know, voice-enabled devices, voice assistant platforms, stuff like that. Uh, on in, in your kind of area, looking at customer contact, contact center operations, various other digital channels, where did the need come from like why 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 bother with this stuff like where did it all start yeah if if go back four years we were predominantly a call center um you know named a contact center but really a call center that also handled a bit of email Mm -hmm. um but what we saw is customers 
we're more and more utilizing our digital channels, so public website, internet banking, mo- you know, mobile banking. Um, and we knew we needed to move the service closer to those interactions. Um, what we see today is a huge growth in uh, digital logons, you know, customers accessing um, the the app nearly every day now on average. Um, and we know we knew at the time that we needed to move move the, the customer service part closer to where those customers were rather than asking them to come to the contact center. So um, the last say, three, three and four years has been about creating new channels, creating new contact points for customers to get to be able to get access to help. And I was, um, I guess what we've seen, it's, the pandemic kind of shone a light on it more than anything, but it was already there, it was that customers were starting to, um, adopt uh, this kind of on-demand lifestyle in their banking. Mm. You know, so, um, you know, I've, I've talked passionately about on-demand banking for some time now because we see it. We customers want the same control in their banking as they do with their you know, television, online shopping, um, food delivery. It's, it's the same. It's the same needs you're trying to meet. Just the the stakes are slightly higher. You know, if you if your on-demand pizza ordering goes wrong, you might have some upset children sat around the dinner <laughs> table. If your on-demand banking goes wrong, there can be some pretty big ramifications. So, you know, having the humans sat alongside that technology is, I think, is absolutely vital in in, in financial services in, in particular. And and therefore, I had a team. You know, we've got a team of about four thousand people serving customers every day. The, the idea was how do we get them closer to where our customers are? And that mm-hmm. was digital. So we set up chat channels um, through internet banking, through mobile banking. Um, and we've, uh, over the last few years, worked on how we grow the use of that channel, not only for contact centers, but the wider kind of retail part of HSBC's business in particular, because you know customers tend to come to the contact center as a starting point. Mm-hmm. But they can often, you know, often head off in lots of different directions depending on what their inquiry is. That's a that's a kind of telephony based approach that mm-hmm. works well. Why would you not have that in chat as well? So we've you know been working on you know, like fraud support teams and underwriting teams, and um, so it, so the chat service is is pretty seamless for our customers, and that's that's been a big part of the of the plan for the last few years. Mm, interesting. So, so it came then out of the rising customer expectations. You've mentioned pizza ordering and stuff like that, and that everybody obviously is kind of digital native. And I suppose the 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 difference between a product and a service these days is blurring. Is yeah. Uber a product or a service? Is Spotify a product or a service? You know, it's it's kind of like that line's getting really gray, gray. And the more that people do online, the more that people do on their phones and stuff like that, the more they expect. And therefore, I've honestly, I've actually moved banks a number of times because of poor experiences elsewhere. I won't mention the brands; it's not HSBC, but uh, it's I've had poor experiences and I've moved banks because of it. Um, and so, it was that the kind of the main driving factor was the fact that really meeting customer expectations were at the heart of it. Or was there any other drivers that were going on? You mentioned the pandemic. I imagine, you know, all businesses were hit kind of fairly hard during the pandemic. Was there any other drivers or was it predominantly to try and really kind of get ahead as far as meeting customer expectations? Are concerned? Yeah, that, that was, 
front and center was about the customer and customer service. We needed to we needed to evolve, and we need to evolve and get closer to where our customers are, um, and where we where we believe they would continue to be. You know, and, and say the growth in digital channels is yes, it's it's accelerated because of the pandemic, but it was already there. It was already happening. Um, is it more efficient? Yes. So, you know, there's a commercial benefit to doing this, but that wasn't the driver. The driver was customer experience. You know, the, you, you touched on, you know, moving your banking cane. The, you know, the relationship a customer has with their bank is, is still one of trust. And it's one of trust that works when the bank fixes something or reassures you or gives you support in, in a certain way. And that's when things go wrong is generally where that's fallen down. Mm. And that, you, you know, you can blame processes, you can blame technology, but often it's it's the people in the middle of it. The contact center workers themselves are often stuck in the middle of it and the customers. So it's it's a people on people issue still every day. Um, so you know, part of the strategy here was not only about creating new channels for customers to contact us, and getting our people closer to where those customers are, but also then being able to um, utilize the technology, but with the people at the right times. So, you know, no, I don't think anybody wants to run a business where they're continually having to employ more and more and more people and drive up your cost base. That just doesn't make any commercial sense. Um, so, you know, having customers in a place where you can, um, deploy some automation, deploy some, you know, some chatbots to provide that kind of on-demand banking experience that I touched on, but always having the mindset that customers can always drop out to an agent at any point, any time, you know, with a dead end, they, there always has to be an exit point. with central because it is a customer service play. This is, the strategy is about offering a great service. And, and we see it in our NPS scores, in our NPS scores on, on our chat channels are twice what they are on voice. Um, you know, so customers are are voting for it to say they really like it. Interesting. That's, that's, it's interesting. You always, I always think that the voice channel feels more immediate, but the chat channel, I suppose, is more kind of contextual and easier to adopt because you don't need to switch channels almost if you're already in the app or you're already on the website, whatever like that. Maybe chat's more natural. Um, but it's more, it's more conversational. As in, you can, there's, you know, the way we structured it, there's no distinct start and stop to that conversation. Mm. Uh, so our, our chat conversations, customer can leave it and come back to it at any point. Um, and yes, we try to be there as quick as we can. You know, mm. there's the, the certain interactions where customers just need an instant response. But there's certain interactions where they'll, they'll wait a little bit of time um, or they want to go at their pace. You know, I um, you think about how you know how we w- run our lives today. You know, that you're fitting in, picking up the kids from school. You're fitting in, you know, different work priorities. Banking isn't, you know, it has to, it has to be able to fit around all of that, all around life. That's, mm. I think that's an important theory to this, and that providing a chat service where it is a continual conversation that the customer can go at the pace they want to go at. I think is a really important part. Whereas when they think about a phone call, if there is a distinct start and stop, you often have to carve out time. You know, we've all, I think we've probably all had the experience where somebody in a contact center of any, you know, of any organization has promised to call you back and they haven't, mm. you know, and it's in the frustrations of that. Whereas 
the chat conversation and the way we've structured it, where you can pick it up whenever you want, the customer's in control of that, not yeah. not not the organisation. Yeah, there's less pressure as well when it comes to the automation side of things. You know, the problem sometimes with voice user interfaces um, for fairly complex use cases is that sometimes it requires a bit of thinking time. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to think about what my response is going to be. And then when I speak, it's in real time. And I can't correct what I speak as I speak. A lot of NLU systems and ASR systems struggle with that. And so you, with the chat channel, I suppose you've also, as you mentioned, they're going at the user's pace. The a user's got more time to think, more time to consider, more time to kind of, uh, you know, think through what it is that they're saying sort of thing. Um, which is not to disparage the voice channel, because I think that, that in the moment, voice user interfaces and voice assistants are absolutely ideal. It's just that some channels have different kind of, you know, pros and cons, isn't it? Yeah, and we've, you know, don't get me wrong, we've invested heavily in our voice technology. Mm. Um, you know, we replaced the IVR um, and put a conversational IVR in a couple of years ago. So, you know, we, that that was a, a sizable undertaking to, to deliver that, and that has unlocked the opportunity to improve service further. You know, the the amount of um, agent-to-agent transfers dropped because we, you know, we better understood what the customer was actually calling us for, um, as well as, you know, offering out enhanced self-serve capabilities. So, um, you know, created space in the, in the telephone agent population to, to handle the slightly more complex or slightly more emotionally driven, event-driven um, challenges that customers customers face and you know it's playing out today is you know more and more customers have, have will be lost on anybody that the cost of living challenges in the uk mm-hmm. are, are, are right you know they're out there aren't they and customers are coming to the bank to their help how, how can i you know i don't need people processing payments or transactional banking on the phone really i need people helping helping our customers when they really need that support Mm. Um, so we've invested in the in the telephony infrastructure and technology as much as open up the channels. So customers now now have a choice, and we've got again the same principles, the same blend of in the IVR. You can always drop out to you know always drop out to a human. There's always there's always a human voice to help you behind that. You can you know this week we're launching the ability to even cross from the IVR into the chat channels mm. um, to continue conversation there. So. You know of that ability to continue that that interaction um, uh, rather than the, the distinct start and stop of voice. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I mean, the routing is a really good use case because you you want you solve a real customer and agent problem, but you also gather such a wealth of data because you're not only getting people saying transfer me to you know my you know I'm not complaints or transfer me to balance inquiries or whatever it's often very specific things that they'll say. And if you can build a language model around that, you're able to gather data that was previously unattainable or just going straight into the heads of the agents, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it was it was a really interesting program to actually even start putting the conversational IVR in because the amount of utterances is just mind-blowing. If you just take one use case, you know, moving house, you know, there's probably a hundred different ways you could articulate you want to change your address. Mm. Um and trying to capture those and then, you know, we've referenced it quite a bit because there's no getting away from it. You know, the pandemic threw in new words, new new phrases that we haven't even come across mm. before, you know, um, that we 
they, they weren't in commonplace language. They didn't exist that we've had to we've had to adopt, uh, you know, adapt to and, and find ways of of utilizing that. So you're right. The language model's been and the continuous tuning of that lang- language model is is absolutely critical. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Furlough. I didn't even know what furlough was the first four <laughs> no, times I heard no, it no, during it, the pandemic. <laughs> probably one of the most Google words when it first came out. I bet. It was, yeah. Uh, everybody looking up what it meant. Yeah. It sounds like a horse race, doesn't it? Oh, they've got four, four, four furloughs to go. <laughs> yeah, it's mad. Um, so, so did you start with the chat then? If you go back to, you know, you mentioned the what the key kind of drivers were. Was it the chat channels that you started with first? Is that right? Yeah. So we were voice dominated, bit of email, um, and really it was let's go and get chat up and running. That's where our customers are in the digital arena. We're gonna get close. So. Um, if I remember rightly, I think it was chat into um, public website, then into internet banking, then into the mobile app um, and the integrations that came there. That I think that was the biggest unlocker, you know, mm-hmm. really getting into the mobile app. It created this ability to move from a kind of – we almost operated very synchronously in uh, – on public website and internet banking. It was almost just a replication of voice, which was never really where I wanted to take it. Mm. I wanted to take it into a, a genuine conversation. So mobile banking and mobile chat has really been that game changer. And that's where we see a lot of the a lot of the customer contact today is in that mobile chat space. Mm. Um, and we and we spent a bit of time operating without a bot. We decided yeah. not to do a bot on day one. Didn't think it was the right thing to do. Um, we wanted to learn what our customers wanted to chat about. Um, and into your point about data, I mean, so data rich, being able to interrogate chat transcripts and put them through analytics tools to um, to draw out themes and the type of language. Um, so we, we gave it some time um, before we launched our first bot. Um, or even before we started to try and launch our first bot. I mean, you know, frankly, Ken, our first attempt wasn't, very successful i think mm. you know probably they probably most people that could have rose to me bear, bear the same scars of their yeah. first you know you'll always build it twice is yeah, the David yeah, Law's mantra yeah. um so we were sometime we were probably nine months post launch of chat before we before we got a bot going um and then it's just grown from strength to strength and what what i'm really proud about our bot solution this um for uh, which crosses all the channels, you know, the same bot working um, across mobile, internet banking, public website, is that um, it's not built by our technology colleagues. So, yes, we need IT. Yes, we need digital teams to help us. But actually the bot and the bot um, flows and the conversations are designed by frontline contact center agents. Mm -hmm. So we've set up a capability where – Got about fifty-five, ish people. The changes on a on a on a regular basis, but working, building, um, ch- chatbot flows, mm. and these guys are used to serving customers. So you know what we said earlier about the language, how we need to explain things, how we how we capture that, and then you know we've got slightly more technical capability in terms of you know the NLU and how and how we build the flows linked to that cap- you know to, to that capability, mm. but it is you know, genuinely is a bot built by the people who serve the customers. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying actually unique. I know other organizations are now doing that, but that was a very, a very simple learn early on. You know, first iteration of a bot didn't really work. It was very technology driven. 
you know, I've got some super talented IT colleagues, but actually what it it shone a light on is that it's the people who are serving the customers that know the customers the best. Mm. And it doesn't matter how much data you can throw at it, that human experience to make your bots more human. You know, we don't hide the fact you're talking to a bot. We don't try and disguise it. You know, we're very clear that you're chatting to a bot, Mm. but the people building it are the ones that serve the customers as well. Mm. And that's made a, you know, that's made a really big difference. Um, What it's also meant is that we are a bit of a buzzword, but we are really agile. So, you know, and something happens in the industry, something happens in, you know, within HSBC, then we need to, we need to get a bot out. We can get it out in 24 hours Mm. because, you know, it's not a tech delivery, it's a frontline delivery. So Mm. where we're building, you know, knowledge content for the content center agents or um, content to go on the public website for customers, you know, for if, if an issue's happened, we can build a bot at exactly the same pace. So it can all get launched at the same time. Mm. Mm. That's good. That's a good way to do it in terms of having some integration with the rest of the business so that content changes over here and then it's updated in the bot or new content is published over here and it's it's also put into the bot. It's quite a mature way of operating. Usually it's the bot team or the assistant team are running around like headless chickens trying to figure out what's happening in the business and trying to work out yeah. what's changed and trying to get data from somewhere. And it's like, so would you, would you describe the relationship between the team and the rest of the organization as a fairly kind of tight knit one then? What's, what's the kind of collaboration like between internal teams? Yeah. Stuff into the assistant. It's, I think it's really healthy, Ken. I mean, it, it helps the, um, this kind of vision, this direction. Um, we've had you know, the best, you know, exec sponsorship you could hope for. You know, our, uh, our CEO sees the sees the value. Mm. Um, you know, so he's been he's been he's been really keen for us to do this and really supportive. Um, the the ability for us to to scale it comes from that you know that sponsorship where others want part of it you know this isn't a contact center capability anymore hmm. this is a this is an organizational capability um so you know it's touched on earlier the, the contact center might be the front door but we have specialist teams now working in this area as well you know and we're just just working on right now like for for our uh, financial support team for those customers who are facing a, you know some financial challenges we're working on actually how does how does chat how does a bot actually help in that scenario because again put the customer lens on it some people will you know be, be a bit embarrassed or mm. may not be in um you know in an environment where they can openly talk about their finances so they may they might want to chat because it's more private or um it's you know it's probably you know, potentially slightly less embarrassing to chat with somebody than than tell them if you you know if you if you're facing a bit of trouble. So and then you know what we're trying to work through there is then okay. So we still want a human to deal with that. That's really important. That's an emotional event that we want a human to do. But actually, can still use a bit bit of AI, a bit of a bot in there, maybe to do the data collection. Because you know? mm-hmm. if you're going to help somebody build some kind of you know, financial plan or repayment plan or, you know, whatever they need. Mm. We do need the data. We need the information. Sometimes you've got to get that from the customer. So, we, you know, we'll, we'll work through how we build like a Tango bot that can come in as almost like an assistant of the of the agent. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the business is bought in, which I think is a, is a really, really important. Um, I'm at the point now which I 
I'm really proud of is that I get requests asking for my team's expertise into other parts of the business to help them do it. Mm. You know, so it feels like we've got momentum. It feels like we've got um, uh, lots of people like really interested and in, in buying in to what we're trying to do. Um, and that again is making a big difference because if we look at um, the number of customers now utilizing our chat channels and using this technology and, and crossing from voice to chat and it's it's growing massively mm. um, and I generally think that's because as a business customers don't differentiate you know they're dealing with HSBC they're not dealing with HSBC customer services or fraud you know it's just we're a brand mm. and we're a bank and frankly customers don't care which department they just want serving so the more parts of the organization we can have working in this way, utilizing this technology, but in the same ethos and the same theory can only be good for the customers. Mm. And they are definitely voting with their feet because the numbers are growing hugely. Mm, definitely. That's when it becomes, when it starts to become a strategic capability, you know, mm. when you think about a good example I had to use is if you look at uh, some of, uh, I suppose your competitors over the pond, uh, Capital One, for example, where, their kind of assistant, as you said, it's the same for it's exactly the same when it comes to digital service delivery in general. If you've got an app, customers go to the app, they don't expect to have to go into the fraud division and deal with the fraud department's architecture and, and systems and processes, and then go into the customer service conversations, have to deal with the customer service systems and processes. It's all just HSBC. It's all just the brand. And when you speak to the brand about anything, you expect consistency across all of those conversations. And therefore having um, a front facing assistant that's there as your first point of contact for only all of those issues and across all of those channels seems to to me to be the way that things are heading. And I think one of the really good examples is Capital One where their assistant is available on Alexa, it's available in the call center, it's in the app. But not only is it a conversational assistant, it's also a genuine digital assistant because it's there in an email, it will send you proactive emails and it'll come from Eno, not from Capital One. Mm -hmm. They've got like browser extensions to facilitate secure payments on websites and stuff like that, all branded as Eno. And so my kind of question always is, at what point do customers stop thinking that they're interacting with Capital One, the brand? At what point does Eno become its own brand? And at that point, it is well and truly not only an internal kind of capability, but it is definitely a, a strategic differentiator. Mm. It sounds as though, from what you're explaining, from internal uh, support and buy-in at a senior level, plus internal departments leaning on your team for expertise, plus channel expansion, multi-channel use cases. I'm imagining we haven't got into use cases yet, but I'm imagining you're doing some kind of like transactional use cases as well as the kind of low-hanging fruit on the FAQ side. So it sounds as though you're developing that capability for this assistant to be the, the front-facing thing across most channels, the front kind of first touch point across most channels. Is that where you see the future of customer experience heading? Is the, every yeah. channel having an AI-mediated assistant on there? I, I absolutely do, Ken. And I think where we we potentially could end up um, a few years down the line yet, but I think where we could get to is that um, so we, we, have a, we have a very uh, active runway of functionality we're trying to build inside digital channels. Um, uh, all based on customer demand, all based on you know what our customers are asking us for. They will get to a point where you know you you never fill an app, but can you make an app that busy with that much functionality that it becomes mm -hmm. hard to navigate? Because we've seen that with websites, 
Um, you know, and I think we'll get to a point where a virtual assistant um, and a, a genuine virtual assistant, not just a bot in the chat channel, will be it'll almost be like the concierge. It'll be at the front of of an app, and it will it will direct you around. It will take you to the parts. A bit like an IVR does. Mm. You know, connect you to what, based on what your need is. Mm. Um, even if that's just to flick across pages or carousels in an app, mm. um, I think we'll we will. Um, as a consumer base, we will almost self-serve the or, or navigate the app less. It will get done for us. Um, and then that opens up different different capabilities because, you know, as you've touched on, it's, you know, voice assistants, whether it's Alexa or, you know, other brands are available, obviously. Um, now the question I was asked last week, I think, I don't know the answer to this yet, but was, um, you know, where does, where does voice notes fit? In our strategy, where you know we we see we see it in in Asia quite a bit with um, you know customers talking to their talking to their devices, sending voice notes. We see it in the kind of younger generations using voice notes to interact more. So you know this 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 about four or five years ago, people were saying to me, "Our oh, voice is dead." You know, it's going it's all going to move to chat. Well. No, voice isn't dead. Voice is resurgent, but it's probably in a different structure. And it's probably in voice notes rather than phone calls. Mm. Um, and we've got to work out we, what the strategy is for that. Um, mm. Because it will be slightly different. It'll be, you know, it's got lots of similarities to kind of an asynchronous chat experience. But it will, again, will be slightly different. And how do you make it conversational? And how do you, how do you brand it? How do you make it? feel you know, as human as you want to make it feel. Mm. They're all interesting dilemmas to face into. But yeah, absolutely. I think you know, we're, we're not there yet in terms of creating, um, uh, you know, a, a, a service where customers recognize it as anything other than HSBC. Mm. You know, Capital One was clearly operating in a different space there. Um, but do I think it's something that it, over time customers will 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 almost default as their contact point? Uh, yes, and it's already happening now. Mm. You know, we're seeing it with millions of customers now naturally going to chat, naturally using a bot, using the technology, um, and not defaulting to the phone. And that hasn't taken that long for that to change. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't even have to be branded, you know, that, you know, they made a very conscious decision to, to make it, you know, and to make it its mm. own kind of thing. But, you know, it, it doesn't even need to be that, to be honest, as long as it's delivering value for customers and delivering value for the business, then that's all that really matters. Um, what, what kind of, I imagine when you started, you were starting with some kind of low hanging fruit, as I was kind of alluding to FAQs and stuff like that. Yeah. What kind of range of use cases are you covering now? You mentioned routing in the IVR. I think you alluded to some self-service in the IVR as well. I wonder if you can just give us a, a lowdown on, on voice and chat, the nature of the use cases that, that you're covering at the minute. Yeah. So um, on the voice side, uh, we do a bit of, a bit of transactional, um, a bit of kind of information provision, um, not necessarily FAQs as such, but it might be you know simple, simple interactions like playing out a list of transactions um, through to um, the ability to you know, cancel cancel cards, replace cards, etc. 
Um, I think there's more opportunity in that space. Um, uh, and I think it's predominantly still around transacting, you know, changes of address, those type of things. Um, but really focused on the, the high frequency activity that I think that's where an IVR does its heavy lifting. Mm. Um, but we do, you know, we do use it to, to, to try and help kind of educate and steer and direct as well. So, we, you know, we'll, we'll, we spend a lot of time looking at the messaging in the IVR and how we infuse data in the IVR to make sure we play, um, play messages that are relevant to our customers. Um, in the chatbot space, um, you're right, much more FAQ focused. Um, uh, we have got some um, transactional bots running um, today, which is mostly based around card usage and card inquiries, interact, you know, card interactions, um, uh, which was partly use case was partly because of um, some regulatory change that we wanted to support. And we knew that from a from a retailer perspective that they had a bit of an adoption curve to go through for e-commerce transactions. Um, but for our customers, we did as well. And we wanted to make sure that both the bot and the IVR could support that and support customers. Um, you know, I think when if you have a if you have a payment declined online for whatever you're trying to do, um, you know it's hard not to default to the worst possible thought first, <laughs> you know, so on the cards being declined, I've got this, you know, is my, is my bank account empty or something gone wrong? And actually, you know, in those, those scenarios, it could be something as simple as the, the transaction hasn't been quite processed in the right way. Mm. Um, you know, we want to be able to very quickly reassure our customers that actually there's nothing wrong. It just, just ask the retailer to reprocess it. They'll, they'll send it down the right route and it'll all be, everything will be fine. Mm. Um, so, you know, having having a bot that's that's got the right intelligence, having an IVR that's got the right intelligence to recognise that, to be able to differentiate the different decline codes, all of those type of things that, that might happen in the background, um, was that is our first step really into into a fulfilment bot or a transaction bot. And I've got a yeah, huge long list of um, things that I would like to do. I think the most important bit of this came is what I'm seeing is that. Um, I don't think there's a huge value in trying to get a bot to do what customers can do themselves in, mm. in the digital space in particular. You know, you can make a payment in three clicks on our app. Why Why would I want a bot to, to replicate that? Mm. What, what I'd like a bot to do is to enhance that experience. You know, so for example, um, paying your credit card bill, you know, couldn't get any easier than doing it in the app. Simplest mm. thing well, but if you want to chat to the bot, about your credit card bill and actually you ask it to make the payment for you and then it provides you access to information that you can't self-serve, you know, interest rate you're on, you know, if you pay, if you're not making the full payment every month, how long it will take to pay up for, you know, and presents up, offer up value-adding information that, you you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you walk in a branch, they might have told you that information. Mm. You know, can a bot do that value add? I think it can, and I think it should. Um, so if you're going to get the bot to transact, no point just replicating a digital interaction. It needs to be more value adding, and that's mm. the bit that we're now working on. So, right, long list of use cases, but what's all the, what's all the subcategories off that that would actually add genuine value to that transaction? 
Mm-hmm. That's really sensible. Yeah, I suppose that there's. Um, <clears throat> yeah, if something's working well, why fix it? I suppose. And the other thing that that a assistant would give you in certain contexts is new not necessarily new use cases, but certainly new queries that you might not have anticipated just from the digital channel alone. Like you mentioned they're paying your credit card bill. People can go into the app, pay the credit card bill, and it's done and dusted. Transfer money from one account to the other, it's done and dusted. What you don't get is what else do people need that you're not yet serving, but you don't know about. Mm. And I think that's an interesting space where assistants can play. Like, are people asking what their interest rate is? Are people asking what the next month payment is? Are people asking about limits and all that kind of stuff? Like, what would be the the needs that arise? As you say, the subcategory to the to the broad use case. Mm. And is there anything in there that you're able to uncover? through virtue of having an assistant and therefore you're not, you're not exposing more needs. What you're doing is essentially capturing and delivering against needs that were there, but being previously unmet. Does that make sense? Yeah, a hundred percent. And uh, and this is where having a, you know, I'm really lucky. I've got a great team with me who are you know, looking at utterances, looking at failures in the, in the NLU, which is not detecting what the customer's actually asking for. And that's, that is that's the gold dust, right? That's what's both on on the IVR and on the chatbot side. That's what's building those use cases. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those I call them the plus one conversations. You know, you've got a primary intent, but what's what's the plus one? That's what we find out, um, and that's where you can do it the other way. I think because as, as we digitize service, I think what we can get is we'll actually look at what are the what are the inquiries you still get in the human channels, which you haven't digitized yet. Mm. But but the quickest way to get it to it is probably, you know, is, is look at your look at your transcripts, look at the unrecognized intents and say, hmm, right, that isn't just a change in language. That's an inquiry that we just are not set up to handle. Mm. And you know, commercially, it's probably going to be more cost effective to build a bot to handle three, four, five, six of those together than it is trying to build an interface where the customer can self-serve it. Mm. You know, you still, you st- your mass interactions, you probably still want your digital teams to build your interface, to still build on your app or your your, your website. Or, but actually, for some of those, the fringe cases, the smaller, those plus ones, as I say, I think if you can access a simple API and draw that information and then have five, six different um, journey flows running off the back of that information, that's going to be more cost effective, quicker to bring it to your customers and start to add real value to that interaction, which mm. that's where you're going from a transaction to a proper interaction then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned value there. How, and at the beginning, at the top of the conversation, you were talking about the real driver behind this was to get into the channels where customers are, extend the availability of the service, all that kind of stuff. Mm. How are you measuring the value that these assistants are creating now? Like if someone was listening to this and saying, oh, well, I don't know whether we should do this or not. Like what are some of the examples of the value that you think is important in doing this? Yeah, we could spend three hours trying to talk through this. I'll try try and give you the quick version because this is, we're we're probably on um, version 20, 25 maybe of a calculator to try and work this through because this is not easy. Um, what, what I'd say at the outset, and it, and it links to something we said earlier about um, uh, kind of you know senior sponsorship on this type of stuff. 
Um, when you when you are in this world, you can you can start to see the value once it's live. Once once it's just an idea, um, it takes a bit of a leap of faith. So you know you can calculate as many numbers on a spreadsheet as you want, but until you go up and run with it, you're never a hundred percent sure it's going to add the value you think it's going to add. Mm. Um, and that's whether whether that's the chat channel itself, whether it's investing in the IVR, you know. Experience in that space, you know, proving out a business case is is invaluable. But there are a few models that you know can tell you this type of stuff. So I think you know what I would work on, especially in the in the chatbot space, is um, here when when we first started, there was a lots of lots of focus on containment rate. Mm. Um, I'm not convinced that's right because you know, anybody who's been in and around contact centers for any period of time knows you can basically gamify any any data, any single KPI you want to. And it's the same with containment rate. You know, you could just get your bot turning out your phone number on every inquiry, go, oh, I've got 100% containment rate. <laughs> you know, it's just not what you want. So um, number one is and always will be NPS. We, we, measure, we measure NPS religiously and that, that is ultimately is the most important value because although NPS is very, very hard to then spin into commercial bottom line um, benefit, you know, that, that age old, keep your customers happy, everything else will, will follow. It's still, it's still true. You know, it has, that hasn't changed. So, you know, the best measure of that we've got is NPS. So we, we measure NPS religiously on what we do with the bot, what we do with chat, what we do with the IVR, what we do with the, the service as a whole. But in the in the box space, we'll also look at um, a bit of containment rate, but we'll look at it through a lens of what is it we're trying to contain versus what what do we where do we want it to hand off to a human, and where it starts to get complicated when you build things like Tango bots where you're dropping them in and out because that throws out your numbers all over the place, so <laughs> that can become a bit tricky. Um, We'll also look at the number of interactions per conversation. So although I said earlier that, especially in the chat space, the conversation never starts and stops. So measuring purposes, we'll, we'll normally measure it over a 12-hour um, a window. So you, you can start to run some of your kind of data off the back of it, your performance data. And we'll look at the number of interactions, um, almost like a customer effort measure to say how many, how many times did the customer have to interact in that conversation and you know clearly on each conversation it'll be different because the need will be different but when you scale it up over three quarters of a million chats a month then you can kind of get an average and go well is it is it four messages the customer sends us in that conversation is it five is it six you start to get customer effort then you can flip it the other way and say how many is the bot doing versus how many is the human doing mm. so you can start to build out your efficiency view there um in the in the IVR space, it's slightly different, but not significantly. So NPS still number one. Um, still look at that. What I want to understand the customer experience. I do look at containment rate in the IVR, um, probably slightly more than I do on the chatbot side. Um, I don't. I want to make sure that the IVR is containing in the right way. So um, that's why the NPS side comes in. Mm. Um, the what we what I do focus on specifically in the IVR, probably because there's more exit points into the organization. Our chat, our chat population, yes, we have some specialist teams, but 
the kind of chatbot basically needs to root when it hands off to an agent, just needs to root to a group of agents. An IVR needs to consider much more specialisms in the routing. Um, so, you know, I touched on earlier about transfer rate. I do look at that as a almost like a commercial outcome because you can you can spin that into a you know you can put the dollar sign to that one and work out actually how much does reducing your transfers really cost. Mm. Um, so we'll look at transfer rates and accuracy of the IVR and, and how well it's detecting the intent. Does, does it need to use disambiguation questions? We look at that as well. So if it's using disambiguation, is it actually enhancing the routing capability? If not, it's, disambiguation certainly isn't enhancing the customer journey. Mm. So you've got to make that trade off and say, well, I'm going to ask two disambiguation questions and it still doesn't get it routing any better. Why am I even doing it? Mm. So there's, as you can hopefully tell, okay, it's, it's very customer focused. That's where, you know, this, that was a reason for doing all of this. And this is why I, I, I stay, try and stay true to that today. Yes, we can measure the commercials and all kinds of spreadsheets and calculators to do that. Um, but ultimately, knowing how well your customers interact with the technology and the humans and being able to have almost like the human MPS, the technology MPS, and then a blended one for the interaction, that's the underpinning one. That's that's what dictates whether we make changes or whether we keep it the same, ultimately. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. It's good. I think MPS is a good one because at least it's a North Star. The problem I think I've seen often is that there, there's so much data that you can get from this stuff. How many intents did we capture? What was the accuracy? How, what were our no matches? And then what's that rate like? And then what's our speech recognition rate? And then mm-hmm. all this kind of technical data that you can get to. And then it's like, well, in the past, you know, we've kind of implemented things where it'll be like, if in the FAQ side of things, you talk about containment rate. I, I, I concur with you that containment as a phrase is generally a bad kind of phrase to use in this space because the aim of the assistance is not really to contain somebody and like trap them there. Mm. The aim is to serve them and get done what they need to get done. And if speaking to a human is the best outcome for that use case, mm. then that's the point of the conversation. So it's very difficult to use containment rate, I find. But measuring whether a conversation was successful beyond NPS, like did the user get what, because you you might have a conversation with a chatbot, feel it's a pleasant experience, you know, give it a decent NPS rating because it, it, there's nothing really wrong with it, but you might not have actually got the actual answer that, to your question. So I think the gap that I've seen a lot of is it's very difficult to measure when a conversation is successful versus when it's not, especially with those kind of like quick fire FAQ style things. Like it's quite a quantitative kind of or qualitative rather uh, thing to measure. Um, but I think that North star yeah. NPS and everything else flowing from that at least gives you one, it's a valuable metric and then everything else should come from that. Everything else is aimed at improving that NPS or keeping it where it is, which is, it's good. Yeah. Cause a lot of people can get distracted and it can be quite confusing to figure out where to start with all this stuff, you know? Yeah. And you know, we've, We've utilised first contact resolution as a measure, but you know most most contact centre people will be well okay with that, with that. We've utilised that as a measure. The challenge with um, with FCR, as we've seen more and more customers move to chat and this this kind of asynchronous, this this never ending conversation, as it were, is that's made that really blurry. You know, mm. when you FCR is ultimately just going to measure did the customer come back in a set period of time to ask you the same thing? Mm. Well, you know, if I've started a conversation, then I've got to go and 
pick the kids up from school and then I come back and I want to pick it up again. Well, how, does it, how do you build that into an FCR measure? So mm. that's, you know, that, that's the kind of historic kind of contact centre one I would have gone to. Mm. And, I, and we, still look, we still do look at that. But I, I don't think there's – I think what I'm learning throughout this is there is no one single data point that is going to give you a, give you a, a true view. You know, it's going to be a blend of them. One thing that I want to experiment with a bit more is that, you know, we have a quality model for our people, you know, and the quality model should all lead to good customer outcomes and ultimately equal then good NPS. Mm. How do we build the same quality model for our, our assistants, mm. our virtual agents? Mm. You know, does that look and feel the same? Now, yeah, the, the obvious bit there is that, the machine is built to work in the way the machine is built. So mm. you're probably doing it the wrong way around, but could, is the design of your, if design of the system lead to good quality, that's maybe a way of doing it. Because I think, I think it's far on the, you know, is, was it a successful outcome? Unless you ask the customer up front, what would be a successful outcome today? How are you, how are you yeah. really going to know? Exactly. Yeah. So it is, it is, it's, you know, it's the mosaic effect, isn't it? Can you piece together the, the important bits of the data to say, look, that, that now makes a picture and I'm, I'm happy with that or I'm not happy with it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I'm noticing a lot, actually, of uh, companies having the same kind of parity as far as how you judge quality from agents and virtual assistants. And almost there's actually been deployments where the exact kind of metrics that are used to kind of judge, I suppose, agent performance are the exact same used for the bot and the bot's basically treated exactly the same, um, which is interesting. But I also think that in some cases, it, again, it's horses for courses, isn't it? Because your bot might be doing very specific things that are different to the agent like your live chat session i don't know if this is the case or not but for example your live chat sessions might expire after a period of time because the person's speaking to other people or whatever whereas a uh you know a, a bot or, or a messaging use case mm. you, it might be asynchronous and the conversation might last three days and so as long as the customer got what they needed from it, it the effort on the bot's part is negligible whereas yeah. if it was spending a human five minutes each time to respond to 20 messages over four days it's a slightly different level of effort than it is for a bot kind of thing. So there's still, yeah, this thing hasn't been solved yet, I don't think, which is really interesting. No, and that's, I mean, the, the downfall there is you're trying to measure efficiency and effort yeah. of a machine. Well, well why? <laughs> you know, my, my simple view is be customer obsessive. What's the effort of the customer? Mm. Yeah. You know, does it go at the pace that the customer wants it to go at? And, you know, as we've learned, especially with chatbots, as we learned over the last few years, um, you can make really subtle little tweaks that make a big difference to the experience. You know, the times where we've had the bot, it's, it's been, it's responded too quick. Mm. And it's almost like, oh, it's in your face. It's like, yeah. you, know, it's, you know, it's almost like this passive aggressive bot. Type, you know, it's like, boom, here's yes. your answer, here's your answer. And it's, that's not very helpful. Yeah. And actually that could put some customers off. Whereas, you know, we've also experimented and gone the other way and put quite big delays in. To the point where people are like, mm, you know, if my mobile phone signal is still there, am I still connected to wire? Because they're, they're thinking something's gone wrong. So, you know, even those really little tweaks can make a big difference. But you just got to you got to test it, you got to play around with it, and and work out what works. Yeah, yeah. It it can feel a little bit too 
obviously robotic when the response times are too quick. Like there's yeah. a bot called Mitsuku and for years it won what's called the Loebner Prize, which is like for a while, I think maybe still today, the measure of how good a chatbot can get. And uh, it was created by Steve Worswick. We've got, we've got him on a podcast in the past, but if you try out the Mitsuku bot, I don't know what it's like today, but the second you press return, the response is given to you. And it's just so quick. You're like, it's it's then obvious that it's not, it's, it's obviously, it's definitely pre-programmed. Whereas creating a bit of space, at least enough for it to be more human-like, like you won't respond to me like that. You'll need a few seconds, a millisecond or so, or a couple of milliseconds to try and understand first and then put your response together. And having it too quick makes it feel like it's obviously robotic uh, and predeterministic rather than natural and, and you know conversational kind of thing. Where um, I'd love to get to is a point where, can almost mirror the customer's pace. Yeah. You know, so the bot can can automatically detect, you know, so you can do sentiment analysis today, it can, you know, it can detect that. So why can't we detect that a customer's potentially pausing or, you know, being very thoughtful in the way it's interacting, sorry, the way they're interacting, and can the, can the bot kind of mirror it? Yeah. Um, but then you've got some customers as well. It's like, oof, I just, just want to get on with it. I just want to get yeah. the answer. You know, could it, could it speed up or slow down? That would be, that'd be quite a cool position to, to try and get a bot into and get it yeah. to work that way. hundred percent. There's a, there's a company called behavioral signals, which, which just does, it does that, but not the full extent. So it will listen to the caller and how they're speaking when they're talking about who they want to be put through to. And then it will match them with an agent that's got the same conversational speaking style. And it's been proven actually to end up in higher quality conversations, however they define it, whether it's NPS, whatever it is. And so the technology exists to be able to understand the speaking style. But I remember writing years ago, I think probably in about 2018, about kind of almost what you're saying, but it's all, it's like, can AI profile somebody's personality type, for want of a better word, and then be able to respond accordingly? So if you're the kind of person that jumps in a car and says, get me directions to work, but you really want to understand detail, then it will say, well, we're going to have to redirect you because there's been a traffic jam on the M1 and this is what's happened. The delays are going to be this much, so I'm going to take you this way instead and really explain everything. Whereas if you're someone who doesn't care about detail, you just want to get to the point, it'll just say, okay, redirecting you because of an accident and that's it. And so it's kind of like being able to use the AI to better profile customers to then match it with an agent that is better suited to then level up the quality of the conversation. You know, it's, it's, I think we're a bit further away, but there's signs of the technology being there that might enable that. Maybe the um, maybe the the choice of language for that intent is part of the key. You know, the the, the scenario of um, asking Alexa, "What's the weather today?" versus "Am I going to get wet today?" Yeah, you know, "Am I going to get wet today?" It's a simple yes or no answer. So it, it kind of gives it away, and the customer just or the or the, the consumer just wants the. What, yeah. what wants to know, whereas yeah. the, you know somebody who's asking about the weather could be you know wants it reading out verbatim from the newspaper type approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's interesting. What else, I know we're coming up on time. I just want to get your thoughts on for people listening in who um, might be. I mean, it sounds from hearing from hearing you kind of speak, it sounds as though you're definitely kind of on the more mature end of kind of 
organizational maturity as far as these conversational AI services are considered. You know, you've got, uh, I don't know what the size of the team is, we didn't get into that, but you've got a team that work on this stuff. You've got organizational support at the very top. It's obviously got budget assigned to it. It's performing well and delivering value. You've got internal stakeholders throughout the business coming to you for your expertise, probably in the process of having some kind of hub and spoke model set up where your center of excellence can advise. So you're definitely kind of on that scale to, to definite maturity. If you take a step back and you're, you're, you know, people tuning in who maybe has only got one chatbot deployed in one channel, maybe it's not quite doing transactional stuff yet, or they've got maybe some IVR routing, no kind of chat presence, and maybe leadership are not really as supportive as they might be. You know, just generally think about yourself three years ago, or whatever. Mm-hmm. What are the kind of pieces of advice that you would share? Some of the critical things that you either did do or would have done differently in the past if you were going to advise someone trying to get to the level that you are at now? Yeah, um, I think the, the biggest bit of advice I would give is um, invest the time to share with your stakeholders, your, your internal sponsors, your execs. Um, invest the time to, to share what you believe with them, to get them to believe it as well, because that just unlocks everything for you. So the, you know, the biggest change for us was really when we got all of the kind of component parts of the retail business to, and we're not still not there yet. He's obviously a big organization, but mm-hmm. you know, the, the majority of it, we, we invested heavily over probably 18 months to educate, 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 and just get them to understand it. But understand it through not how the technology works, you know, leave that, leave that to us, leave that to those who enjoy knowing that stuff. Mm-hmm. What does it mean for the customer? What does it mean for your people? What does it ultimately mean for your business? You know, those are the three things that we try to get across. And then um, I think the second thing is um, growth doesn't come by just wishing it to happen. You know, you've got to got to very deliberately go out and get use cases. So you know, when I when people from across the organisation ask ask me for help or they say, oh, you know, I, I I want what you you guys can do. First thing I always say is, right, so tell me the challenges you face. Tell me the challenges the customers are facing that are interacting with your part of the business. And let me, let me help problem solve mm. because um, a lot of this is about problem solving. It's about getting the technology and the people closer to where the customer is. Um, and so rather than, you know, I, I, thankfully I don't get many people come and say, oh, can I have a chatbot, please? <laughs> Normally the country say, I'm trying to do this. You know, like the mm. like the financial support team example, where you know got more and more customers need help in a different way. Right, we know how to do that. Let let us let us in the door, and we can come and help you design mm. that. So I think getting the most important bit would be get your biz, get the business, get the organisation bought in. You know, if you're leading it, you're going to be passionate about it. You're going to believe in it. That should be infectious. So go in, you know, go and get time in front of the people that you need to help sponsor, because that will just make life so much easier. Mm. I think the next, you know, the next bit is definitely like pick off your use cases. You know, you can't do it all, so pick pick off it each, each bit at a time and go right. Which is the next bit? Which is the next bit? But you use the terminology like North Star came. Like I'm really clear on where I'm trying to take this to, what I'm trying to achieve. So you know, there's phases. Can't do it all at once. So we said it's probably going to take five plus years to get to where we're, I think we want to get to. Mm. Um, realistically it's probably going to take even longer um, but 
know the phases you're trying to get through. So if you're just starting off, right, where do I want to be in 12 months' time? And how do, um, what is it going to take to do that bit? Right, what's the next bit I need to build and the next bit I need to build? Um, and then the, the final bit is, um, final bit of advice is, don't be shy to tell your customers this is what you, you, you're building for them. Hmm. I think if I had my time again, I would have been slightly bolder and slightly more um, overt with our customers initially. You know, we we went we were quite conservative. We went quite tentatively. We, you know, when we first put mobile chat live, I think we put it live with ten thousand customers. And we're like, oh, we'll just pause it and just see what the thing like. But, you know, we kind of knew it was the right thing, but we weren't quite sure whether we got it right. Um, and then it wasn't until we'd like rolled it out to all of our customers, you know, millions and millions of people had access to it, that we then started to tell our customers it existed. Mm. And it wasn't until actually, you know, we got the first like proper set of MPS data where we went, actually, this is, you know, customers are really loving this. <laughs> that suddenly then we then went really big and telling them it existed. You know, I think we should have probably been a bit braver and gone a bit earlier because, um, you know, it's kind of all interlinked and so you get more customers who want to use it easier to grow it, easier to do your next steps. Mm, mm. Fantastic. Well, Andy, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing that story. It's absolutely fantastic. And thank you everyone for tuning in, whether you are tuning in live or on the podcast. Uh, definitely join us tomorrow. We'll be talking to Corbis Krayling of, uh, was of Vodacom, now left Vodacom. Uh, we're talking all things conversation, AI technology. We've got Botium on the podcast, which is, we've talked about in this, in this episode, we've talked about the value of data uh, and what it can be used for and how you can leverage it as a strategic asset. And that's basically what Botium help you do. Uh, and then we have uh, on June the 9th, 6 p.m. GMT, we've got a uh, really good webinar with Deep Graham, and we're going to be talking about why big tech doesn't innovate as fast as you would think and how you might find better performance in niches. And so please do join us for that. I'll put all the links to that in the show notes. Uh, Andy, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Nice one.